Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 12th of September, 2021. Uh, it is now 1.02 p.m. in the studio. I am your host, Kieran Murdoch. Good afternoon. Uh, Antigua and Barbuda is in the midst of a new wave of COVID-19 infections, and the number of active cases today is higher than it has ever been at any time since the pandemic began. Uh, operations at the Lesterbird Medical Center, which is formerly the Mount St. John Medical Center, uh, have been seriously affected by the number of COVID patients needing hospitalization and by the number of medical staff needed to care for those patients. Uh, according to the most recent update published on Saturday, September 11th, that's yesterday, uh, there are 650 active cases of COVID-19 of which public health authorities are aware. Uh, 36 people are reportedly now hospitalized with COVID, uh, while the rest of known active cases are reported to be in isolation. Uh, the hospital has put visiting restrictions in place to cope with the risk of COVID transmission with so many COVID patients at the hospital. And it will suspend elective and non-essential services at the hospital, including surgeries and out outpatient clinics uh, from September 13th, which is tomorrow, Monday. Uh, the number of COVID deaths has been ticking upwards slowly as well uh, since the new wave of infections began uh, increasing seriously last month. Uh, in the midst of all this, the people who have to treat COVID patients, the doctors, nurses, hospital staff, ambulance technicians, and so on, are exhausted. Uh, fatigue, anxiety, and stress have become their norm in many cases. And the same goes for other frontline personnel, uh, those who have had to work harder, longer, and nonstop to enforce COVID rules, people like police officers and health inspectors, among others. Uh, observers Shermaine Beek spoke with four nurses recently who asked not to be named uh, about the conditions under which they are working. during the new wave of COVID infection. Something on the screen grabbed my attention there for a second, folks. I apologize. Uh, they spoke about grappling with anxiety and overwork and needing counseling, which is not readily accessible to them in some cases. Um, one spoke of being ready to quit the profession altogether. Another reported that quite a few people are no longer showing up for work. Between them, they reported to Observer that uh, some staff have been working for over a year without vacation, though they desperately need it, and uh, many feel as if no one cares. Uh, and for some, the workload is critically immense. One nurse told us that some staff may end up working 16 hours a day in some instances while having just one day off in a given week. Uh, there's also the emotional impact of working with patients who are severely ill and of having worked with patients who died of COVID-19. There is no time to process the loss and recover mentally, and the mental pressure simply builds up. Uh, according to the four nurses who spoke to Observer, medical staff are testing positive for COVID in increasing numbers. Uh, one person who spoke described it to us as the Gaza Strip and claimed that COVID patients are being treated at various places, various locations in the, in the hospital uh, because of space limitations, and that COVID-infected patients had at times mixed with non-COVID patients in the emergency rooms. Uh, in all of this, of course, home and family life for many has become a ghost of what it used to be. Uh, some frontline workers barely spend time with their families, their partners, or their children, creating other problems. Uh, the reality of the situation was perhaps best summed up by a woman speaking in a now widely circulated audio clip, uh, who many assume uh, to be a member of the hospital staff, given the account that she gives in the audio. Uh, it's not clear if her message was shared publicly on purpose or leaked, but she sounded highly stressed and spoke about the pressure of being on the hospital staff. Uh, she lashed out at members of the public who said, who she said were, quote, doing ignorance when it came to abiding by COVID rules and taking steps to prevent transmission. 
Uh, she talked about one instance where a COVID-positive young man who should have been in isolation uh, came up to the hospital and mingled with others in a waiting room. Uh, she spoke of COVID-positive persons who should have been in isolation, breaking isolation to uh, seek sick leave papers from work uh, and using public transport to do so, supposedly. Uh, she spoke of non-COVID patients lashing out at hospital staff over the lessened attention paid to them, which in turn is due to the higher number of cases of COVID at the hospital. Uh, and she lamented that at the very moment she was actually speaking in that audio clip, she was on her way to get minimal sleep, only to wake up later to encounter the same environment when she went back to work again. Uh, so on this segment, uh, we'll ask how is occupational burnout impacting frontline workers and are there any real solutions? Uh, we're happy to be joined and I will ask our guests to unmute their microphones. We are, all three of our guests are joining us on Zoom today, folks. Um, I'll ask our guests to unmute their microphones at this point. Um, we are joined by Ms. Mignong Schillingford. Uh, she joins us from Dominica where she is a nurse working directly with COVID patients and she's also the president of the Dominica Nurses Association. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ms. Schillingford. How are you doing? Hello, good afternoon. Um, I'm not here in Tutheli, but good afternoon to the listening public of Observer Radio. Of course, I am Megan Rose Schillingford, who is the president of the Dominican Nurses Association and also the coordinator of health promotion in Dominica. It's nice to be here. All right. Um, are you hearing me any clearly, any, any better now, Ms. Schillingford, or am I still quite low? Oh, much better. Okay. And just pronounce your first name once more for me so I, I get it correct. <laughs> Okay, my name is Mignon or Mignor Roll Schillingford. All right, I got you. Uh, we are also joined on this program by Mr. Ryan Lewis. Uh, he joins us from Barbados, where he too is a nurse who works with COVID-19 patients. Uh, he is also the public relations officer of the Barbados Nurses Association. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Ryan Lewis. How are you doing? Sir, and thank you for having me on your Observer Show this afternoon. And good afternoon to the public of Antigua and Barbuda. And uh, finally, we're joined here in Antigua and Barbuda by Mr. Arville Grant, Public Health and International Development Specialist. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Arville Grant. How are you doing? Good afternoon to you and my colleagues, and good afternoon to everybody listening to us. Um, Ms. Schillingford, I wonder if I could begin with you just to ask you to give me a sense of uh, uh, what it is that uh, somebody who uh, perhaps works in, in nursing and has to deal with COVID patients uh, goes through on a daily basis now. And also I'd ask what the situation is in Dominica. In Antigua, we are at a, a point that we've never been at. We have 650 active cases, uh, over 30 persons hospitalized. Uh, our situation had never been so severe. Uh, I know the case differs from island to island, but give me some idea of what it is like in Dominica. Okay, so, so so at present, at present, as you would know, the situation of COVID nineteen and COVID nineteen infections has increased exponentially in Dominica. Um, it the dynamics have changed in a number of ways. So for one, now we have the we are confirmed having the Delta variant, and as you would know, this is a much more infectious um, strain of the disease. So we have moved from having persons who preliminary come in um, to the ports of entry from travel and then we catch them because of our protocols, entry protocols, having the persons coming in um, with a PCR and having a 5D um, PCR test for especially those coming from high risk, what we consider high risk countries. Right now, we have had in-country transmission, we have local transmission, uh, and this is different. So we are having a number of cases. Um, in our last 
dashboard, COVID update dashboard, we had a total, and that's from the 10th, we had a total of 108 new cases for the day. Right now, we have over 600 active cases. So the dynamics has changed so much so that we are now have a full COVID complex where we admit all our clients with signs and symptoms who are positive for COVID. And we also admit all positive cases who are unvaccinated. So those who are, because of the increase and because of what we are seeing based on the science, we have the clients who are vaccinated and without signs and symptoms being quarantined, well, isolated at home. And we have all symptomatic positive cases and those who are unvaccinated, at least for the first instance, being um, admitted in the COVID isolation complex. Of course, in terms of what we are seeing, in terms of mild, moderate and severe cases, that too has changed significantly because the cases we would have seen before were all mild or asymptomatic. Now we have persons in all categories, mild, moderate and severe, and you would well imagine the type of services and activities we have to do for caring for patients has changed because we have severe cases. Uh, and, and let me ask you if I could, um, uh, in the introduction for this segment, uh, we were discussing uh, the effects that uh, the, the, the level of strain, the level of burden that has been placed on our frontline workers, particularly our hospital staff, has had on them uh, in, mentally, physically, in terms of their home and family life. Uh, can you give me some sense of uh, whether those are things that you, you, you can say are, are being felt as well by uh, uh, frontline staff in Dominica? Most, most definitely. So, so for one, one of the things that have been, so we have been working actually, to be honest, since with this COVID-19 fight since last year, March 2020, when we received our first case. And everything changed in terms of our activities to, 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 to assist the public. And it has moved from having all the different prevention protocols, going into con complete lockdown, of course, you know, with healthcare professionals, and healthcare workers and, 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 and this as I am, um, when we have any lockdown and shutdowns, and so that is not for us, we have to continue working. Some of our families have lost their jobs because they were in the hotel industry and those types of things. So, so we have been had to deal with that. But right now it is increasingly worse because right now we have a lot more clients. We have a lot more patients who are positive. And not only so, but they require more advanced care they require the contact hours to be increased so for instance when we had persons who were just were asymptomatic not having signs and symptoms or mild those especially caring directly with the clients could go in and um, care for the clients give them and then come out and remove their all of your PPEs, you know, you have to use your mask, your gloves, your gongs, your, you know, all of this. You can imagine here wearing that, you know, full time and, and, and persons still refuse to wear the mask just for 30 minutes and so on. But that's another story altogether. So, but right now when we go in, because of the type of clients, we have all the persons, we have persons who require to be turned and bath and have more of a 24 hour care. That businesses are going into the the, 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 the wards and the, the units and have to remain in full PPEs for like six to eight hours. 
So that's a loan. And you know, in terms of our mind, we know what to do. But when you are tired, when we are short staff, because we have a lot more clients now that we would have had, and we, do, we still have the same amount of staff who do the work, who are already tired, you know? So, I mean, there's something that happens to your psyche, you know? Am I putting on my PP properly? Did I mess up? Did I, I lose something? You know, a client may, may cough or sneeze or vomit on you. Is it the day that I, I get infected, you know? And, and then we have to go back to our families and our friends and we are saying, are we taking them, taking it back to our home, to our children? Did we do everything and exercise? We are so tired. You know, when you are tired, the body becomes opportunistic. You know, the risk of you getting you know, and infections or something is, is, is even greater, you know. Then there are other services that we would not have had that we have now. So with the same staff, we still have a lot of, a lot of other extended services. Right now, we have in a lot of rapid testing all over the country. We have in vaccination campaigns. We have nurses at the airports at the ports of entry. still have persons coming in, and they're still having tests at the airports. You know, we have nurses stationed outside the hospital doing testing for clients because we do not want to breach of COVID infections into the hospital affecting our other clients. You know, so as the time continues, it is just mounting and we have not had a break. So this is the situation. Uh, Mr. Ryan Lewis, uh, I'll ask you to unmute at this point, Mr. Ryan Lewis. Uh, but my, my, my question to you would be a similar one and that is, um, you know, what is it? What is it like? What is it like uh, uh, working day to day in that environment? And can you sympathize with uh, some of the, the 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 issues you would have heard discussed in our introduction? Of course, um, many of the issues that was raised by my colleague who who just spoke, um, we share similar sentiments and similar characteristics in our country. At present, we are just about 719 cases. That was the last update on September 10th, which we would have um, emerged about 85 new contact cases on the September 10th. Um, that's due to be updated later today. Um, the Delta variant obviously is proved to be very, 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 very challenging in the sense that it is more transmissible meaning that more persons are getting ill, the communication spread between person to person is higher. And of course, we're seeing more persons being infected, which means that translates to the amount of care and attention that we have to pay to persons. So even beyond the protocols that we would have already had in position from the start when we were just dealing with the Alpha variant in 2020, that seemingly persons, the public at large, are even more COVID fatigued. The, mass wearing, the limitations of where they go, the physical distancing. We are seeing refractions of persons going backwards and more or less dropping their guards and prevent and more or less stimulating avenues for the spread to continue at even greater and higher rates. Now for the double variant, it means obviously that the viral load is obviously more and of course that um, there are more persons in close proximities that are allowing the continued spread of this Delta variant. You know, the, how this translates for our nurses here, it means that with the same limited resources, we are dealing with more persons, which means that there's an extension of nurse to patient ratios. It means that we are burning out, there's less of our times going back home. And of course the same fears um, our existence is the PPE or were there breaches in our PPEs when we were rendering care to these persons. You start to second guess your very existence in the call of profession that you 
had once compassion for that is now turning against you and cause you great fatigue and great this uh, great despair you're seeing persons as young as 12 6 7 even younger than that becoming infected and you're wondering this could be my child or this could be my grandmother um am i part of the process in participating in this spread um am i doing the correct thing uh, you start to question your very being your very sense of self your very sense of practice so the conditions um are maritum are just as much as my partner in dominica and i'm pretty sure as much as my partners within Antigua and barbuda and the full caribbean and the rest of the world uh, and Mr. Avil Grant, um, uh, if you could unmute, I uh, uh, want to ask you in terms of the effect that burnout is likely to have, Mr. Grant, on our medical staff and, and personnel, and uh, particularly uh, those that have to work with COVID patients. Um, are, we, are we looking at a, a crisis on the horizon if we think about the fact that um, uh, it, 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 it might possibly lead to persons getting ill, persons staying away, persons being too fatigued to work, um, even though there's an ever-increasing workload to be dealt with. Yeah, we're, we're just in a, in a bad place. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's really inspirational to listen to two nurses uh, describing the situation as graphically as, as they have done um, and, and still sounding hopeful and interested in doing what they do as as a very critical link in the in the overall health system and healthcare delivery services. Um, you know, burnout is, is peculiar. It is a psychological, it, it, mental health issue. Um, it, it 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 really results in, in in a high level of emotional, physical, or, or mental distress. And it's it a slow, tedious period of time. But when it becomes burnout, it undermines everything. You listen to, to the nurses on the panel and they're talking about their self-confidence. All of a sudden, confident, obviously very articulate, quite gifted people, um, beginning to feel uncertain about their own selves and their own existence. So it, this is no, no small thing. And when you look at what what is happening, look at this scale of increase in terms of the numbers, certainly in Antigua and Barbuda, and you look at what Antigua and Barbuda uh, get in four persons per thousand, and you scale numbers, it means that on average Antigua and Barbuda in the hospital may be used to seeing two two dead persons, two 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 to processing two two deaths in a in a day um, with COVID, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining now that, that that too could become three or four sometimes. And people who are used to seeing and processing two deaths or hearing about one or two deaths uh, in, in the hospital on a day beginning to hear about three or four or five, it will cause immense consternation even in the hearts and minds of very seasoned healthcare workers. And so one should never undermine what, what's happening to us. We have a dramatic increase in patient numbers. We have a substantial increase in um, in, in the in the, 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 the illness and death uh, arising from the condition. And now uh, the providers, the, the the frontline workers, the, the people who are at the front end of all of this, are beginning to say we're feeling burnout. There are solutions. I see and hear that in Dominica they speak very confidently of their. Uh, alternate uh, uh, the structure, the, the COVID treatment complex. I, I believe in other countries that exist, and I'm sure 
that in Antigua and Barbuda to the extent that it exists um, and is being overwhelmed, it will be expanded and rolled out. Because once you have the alternate uh, system in place, it provides in the, in, in, in the well-planned environment for people to rotate between the high-stress COVID treatment facility and the increasingly less-stress general health um, care facility. So, so if, we, if we look critically at what we have and we plan carefully, we may well be able to, to, to ride this out um, without the system collapsing on all of us. Critically, though, we have to look at what we mean when we say a nurse. And we have to look, given the shortages of nurses, at what nursing skills and nursing functions can be assigned to nursing assistants, to technicians, to other categories of people, um, so that um, the scarcity of nursing and other uh, high-level medical expertise that we need can be best deployed to help manage the condition. Uh, and, and coming back to you, Ms. Schillingford, uh, I, I want to get a sense from you as to how you think, uh, when we talk about burnout, uh, we can respond to our, our frontline personnel, uh, particularly in a situation where, uh, uh, of course, I would imagine management is, is reluctant to uh, be you know, giving people time off, vacation, and so on and so forth, uh, when there's so much work to be done. Uh, I, I think you have dropped again, so I didn't hear the question too well. Uh, my apologies. Uh, I, I was asking for your, your take on how we can uh, respond to, to burnout in our frontline workers, uh, particularly as we think about the fact that uh, it is a time when there is so much uh, demand on them. Uh, and it's at that very time, of course, that uh, because of that demand, they require a break. Okay, most definitely. And, and I liked where our colleague, Antigua Public Health, started off. The fact that um, in terms of assignment of tasks, that we should have our professionals and those skilled in particular areas actually only involved in the areas that they, they, they are skilled and they work. And have other categories, assistive staff, assistive persons, assistants in other areas where for instance, our nurses, because I am a nurse, should not be involved in, in terms of data entry and clocking in of patients and, and some sort of that customer service level. And to some extent, that is what it is beginning to happen in Dominica, and I am glad about it. Um, so we have the structure we have now. So for once, we have taken off um, um, COVID-19 um, infections almost totally from the main hospital setting and, and have established a certain complex you know, a, a particular complex for, for these COVID-19 positive patients where we can actually triage them into no signs and symptoms, into symptomatic, into mild, into family, into those requiring advanced care. And then we can have the person skilled in the areas of dealing with clients based on their needs to deal with those who are more severe and those who are moderate those who are just in terms of observations, we are with mild symptoms or no symptoms at all, then we can have persons there, we can have nurses there, of course, and other physicians that will be able to identify a changing client. But we have other categories of persons like persons who are, um, let's say, community health aides. So we, over the past two years, and even because of um, the start in this COVID-19 last year, we had a training of community health workers um, who we consider to be our foot soldiers that can go to the 
the house and interact to the people, with the people in a different district and then report to the nurses that they, they do, do not have to go into it. We also have a lot of other persons, assistive persons in terms of data entry and coordination and logistical persons, which the, the health persons would have to do before. Now that is present and now we have that level of structure, then we can allow for certain nurses after a period of time to get a break. And, and that is very significant to ensure that every single healthcare worker and every single nurse, and I'll, I'll speak a lot about nurses because I'm a nurse, gets a break because rest is very important and significant in this time. Uh, and Mr. Ryan Lewis, would you, would you agree with that in terms of the, the approaches that can be taken to alleviate uh, uh, some of the, the burden that uh, our core? Or core medical persons and, and nursing and other frontline persons are feeling? Of course, definitely. Much of what Ms. Schillingford has stated, I echo her sentiments immensely. And of course, I will add to the social responsibility of every citizen. COVID-19 is an all-on-hands deck approach. It's not just those persons that are medically trained. We are dealing with the acuteness for those persons that by chance become infected by the same token all of us have our social responsibility as citizens of our respective nations to just maintain those three vital protocols sanitizing and hand washing wearing your mask and of course maintaining your physical distancing and of course the fourth layer of protection of entertaining the idea of becoming vaccinated now much of persons that have been very topical among very nations about the conspiracy theories that have come out about uh, vaccinations, but of course, uh, vaccinations are not cured. That's the first thing that we need to acknowledge that they're not cures. Vaccinations more or less lessen the debilitating form of the disease from allowing persons to become severely ill. That will help reduce the strain of our frontline workers of having to actively be involved or being distracted in the care of persons. It's only gonna take a certain or low set of numbers of persons to become severely ill to actually pull that rug from under our feet and have us more or less um, overwhelmed or overwhelmed any healthcare system. So if you have persons that are critically ill and you only have three ventilators, but you have five critically ill persons, you're playing a social roulette of choice of who gets this ventilator, who's the best fit. Are you going to look at age? Are you going to look at person status? Are you going to look? We don't want to make those decisions. We want you to make an informed decision from a prevention point of view and saying, hey, you have this power now to have control over your life by simply wearing a mask, simply staying physical distancing, um, uh, washing and sanitizing your hands, and, and that added layer then of vaccination so that we can prevent persons from breaking down. We can have a more um, healthy society and we can help create this curb and put it on a downward decline of um, arresting COVID-19. Uh, and Mr. Avil Grant, um, I, I, I would have uh, noticed that very often um, frontline staff across various sectors, but particularly those who have to deal with COVID patients, can become quite frustrated uh, when they see members of the public uh, uh, not following the rules, uh, uh, behaving callously, uh, uh, being very resistant in terms of the, even the simplest of things in terms of masking and distancing and sanitization, uh, going here, going there, uh, breaking isolation, breaking quarantine. Um, 
I, I, I wonder if I could just get some feedback uh, from you on that. I know you would have heard the, the voice note that was in circulation of a, a member of staff up at the hospital expressing those same sentiments. Uh, and I talked about it a bit in the introduction. Uh, but w w what's your reaction to that? Just that, you know, if you're a professional, um, you're going to have to be able to back with the noise behind you. You know, it's 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 nice to see that the the nurses and the, the police officers and the the, the people who are uh, front front facing um, the, the, the you know the the, the public um, are are able to appreciate what's happening um, outside of the immediate functions facing them but you know if you're those of us who who've been involved in training professionals have a way of inspiring them to hear the noise but don't listen to it focus on what's at hand and i think the key thing here is is for us to recognize that these people are humans they have wives and husbands and girlfriends and boyfriends they have children they have all kinds of all of the same types of social financial and, and, and physical concerns that everybody else has. And we really ought to find ways of ensuring that they get a chance to exercise those. So if, if people don't have to be on 16-hour shifts, they shouldn't be on 16-hour shifts. If, if, um, if people uh, can be rotated in um, to a, a COVID treatment facility for a month and rotated over to the other side of the healthcare system for another month to kind of disarm the intensity um, of being engaged with COVID uh, management and control activities um, uh, all, all, all of the, the months, uh, then yes. But, but I, 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 I note with interest the fact that the, the, the noise happening out there, the, the distraction, the anti-vaxxer argument, the pro-vaxxer argument, the callous behavior of people who, uh, who are not contraindicated but consistently refuse to be, to be vaccinated, all of those can be distractions. But I go, as someone who who's who been involved in training healthcare professionals to this issue, the panel in front of you is the patient. Focus on that and let's see if we can find somebody else to take care of the noise that's happening behind uh, and Ms. Ms. Schillingford, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the issue of home and family life. Um, I, I would have picked up, of course, uh, that was a theme throughout uh, a commentary that one of our reporters got when she spoke to nurses, is that the, the time that someone has to, to nurture those relationships as they normally would is just not there anymore. And, and that itself is an emotional toll on their well-being. I think the last part I didn't capture um, what you say exactly. There, there's some noise. Oh, my apologies. Uh, I was just asking about uh, your your experience and the experience of uh, uh, nurses whom whom you know, um, in terms of home and family life being affected and, and not having the time to nurture those relationships. Okay, yes, most definitely, you know, it, ha it has been rough to a great extent. And uh, well, in, some, in some cases, it was so much so that because preliminary in the earlier time, um, persons who worked in the COVID unit, isolation unit, um, were not allowed to interact with the public and thus their family. So uh, they were being rotated, yes, but they would have been up in that um, area for like six weeks, um, you know, to see their family and their children and their loved ones. And um, 
right now this cannot happen because of the number of cases and the number of healthcare professionals and healthcare workers who are working in this um, COVID complex or COVID facility, um, you cannot have them, you know, totally isolated off, not seen, not interacting with the rest of the public. And you have to trust that they are wearing their PPEs correctly and they are not getting infected. Um, it is hard because a lot of us healthcare professionals, apart from just our normal family, meaning immediate family, husband, wife, and children, of course, we, because of the type of work we do, we still restricted ourselves from, you know, even visiting our parents, like our older parents and other families who we consider to be most at risk. And we sometimes the type of hours that we work and the fact that we need to rest, which is uh, very significant in the prevention of, of COVID vaccine and COVID um, infections, that sometimes even if we, we, we get a, a break, uh, six hours, 12 hours, 24 hour break, that we may not use it to even get in contact you know so i know for a certain period i had not seen had um view my mother or even spoken to her via the phone for over three weeks you know so i can tell you it has been rough um i just want to add two more things um based on what my colleagues just mentioned and um my colleague from Barbados spoke in terms of while i spoke in terms of the different skill mix and having different puts in different categories of workers do what they're supposed to do so they can relieve the nursing staff so they can do directly nursing care and um he spoke in terms of the the, the, the reaction of the public and the fact that all of us are involved um i also want to to, to speak to in terms of how um, we can it can assist us in allowing us to um, get some rest is also in terms of healthy public uh, measures and public policies uh, and I'm talking about the laws it's sad to say that um, sometimes we it's like we need a whip you know to, to keep us on track and to, to get us to do the things that we have to do and in, in public health sometimes it's a must so in terms of our, our our ministries and our government implementing things like mandatory use of masks and ensure that it is enforced and and here and there of course we still have to um uh, ensure that we ticket some persons and so that they can they comply all of this has to come together so we will do what we have to do within um, the nursing practice and the medical practice and also in terms of wanting the, the, the entire population to come involved but of course there must be the prerequisite all the necessary laws and policies put in place to assist. Uh, and um, Mr. Ryan Lewis, um, in your experience and uh, among your, your colleagues, uh, what has the impact on, on home and, and family life been? Well, this continues to be a challenge. I mean, the medical fraternities being on the front line has always brought that in, those imbalances to family life balance. Uh, family professional and home life balance. Um, but that has even been further compounded with COVID because of the attention that we have to give to this acute phase of this pandemic. Uh, we have been pretty much on a roller coaster. We've had like only lows for like a couple of weeks, but the peaks have been very, very high and sustained over months. So which means we've been hit hitting the limiter constantly, constantly for more than 12 hour days, 12, 16, 20 hour days, sometimes, and we've done it sometimes on the exploitation of our good nature, of our uniqueness and compassion for wanting to help our fellow man. Um, 
So managers, owners, businesses, employees, those leaders of the countries have to find ways um, to allow for there to be great turnover of persons that can, so that persons can get some form or level of respite so they can rejuvenate. And of course, um, attend to those persons that really need us. You know, when we are burned out because of mental and physical exhaustion, it leads us to even more severe problems. Things like making mistakes, medication errors, documentation errors, um, even errors to our own safety where that we may forget to wear a mask or wear a, a double layer of gloves where we should be wearing um, those kind of things and exposing ourselves unnecessarily. Um, and it's not that we are willingly wanting to do that, but at the same time, because you're so exhausted, your mind is so tired, and you're almost like on the delirium. My colleague from Dominica spoke about being in PPEs for six to eight hours. You know, imagine your body in those temperate conditions, you're losing a lot of electrolytes because you're sweating profusely. Um, you're not getting enough peak, um, toilet breaks or even um, regular breaks. So you're putting your body at a disadvantage. You're, you're damaging your body, you're damaging yourself. Um, and to what extent? And we need to look at it from a preventative measure and that's where policy, education and awareness comes in so that we can alleviate fears, concerns, and of course, the ignorance of regular people, of regular citizens. Yes, it's not necessarily your place to be um, to know of all the technical jargons of COVID-19 or any medical condition for that matter. That's what we are trained for. But if you're going to educate you and say, well, uh, these protocols, this, this is what we want you to do. This is your responsibility just to follow these things. And of course, like my colleagues say, support it because we are in Barbados doing it. And that is offering sanctions to persons that follow, say, of these, um, um, these laws in terms of mandatory mask wearing, um, having gatherings over specific numbers as outlined by the government and the COVID monitoring unit. So we have to send a strong message that this is what is required of you and this is your, your responsibility and this is ours. Uh, and Mr. Arville Grant, um, if you could leave us with a final word for this segment, because we're just about out of time, uh, and my question would be, um, having heard all that has been said, uh, what would your advice be to, to, to managers, uh, to public policy makers, uh, those who are in charge of, of directing and coordinating uh, this response as we, as we talk about uh, our frontline workers and burnout? We're now in the, in the summer months. Uh, we're heading toward the fall and the winter. It is likely that we're going to see things get much worse before they begin to get better. Uh, but I think if we if we if we make good plans and kind of stick to the implementation of those plans and to do it in a way that bears in mind the, the, the human factor as it relates to the frontline, the public facing segment of our of our of our healthcare delivery system, and just make sure that the systems are in place that they the materials that they require, the oxygen uh, systems are available, the PPEs are available, the medications are available, so that the, the, the environment within which the healthcare is being delivered is as stress-free as possible when it comes to the, the tools of trade. Um, it, will, it will go a long way. I think in those countries that do not now have um, well-developed uh, or complete uh, uh, COVID treatment facilities, separate and apart from the regular tertiary level healthcare delivery system, a lot of attention needs to be given to that so that there can be significant and discrete separation between the treatment management and control um, of, of the COVID, COVID, COVID virus and its related illnesses um, that can be separated from, from, from the mainstream health system. And, and that then 
in addition to ensuring that people who have other illnesses, non-COVID illnesses, uh, can be treated, it also provides, and I go back to this as a critical point, it provides the potential for rotating um, COVID workers uh, into low-stress areas sometimes and, uh, and rotating the, the healthcare workers from the from the, 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 the mainstream health services into those part of the COVID management services that they can work with. So we create other avenues for stress release and, and thereby continue the effort to limit uh, issues relating to burnout. And remember, burnout is a very, very powerful emotional, physical, and mental health condition. It is a reality and it makes, causes people to perform below their, their, their below par We may have lost Mr. Grant there. Mr. Grant, your audio has dropped. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I will say just to end this out that, uh, of course, on this segment, um, we were speaking and we made a great reference to nurses and to, to hospital staff. But uh, we do, of course, know that frontline workers include uh, uh, many sectors, uh, inspectors, police, uh, various EMS people, various other persons. Uh, and so we, we, we speak in a broad context in terms of burnout relating to all of them. Uh, but we're going to end this segment here for this afternoon. I want to say thank you to all three of our guests. I say thank you to uh, Miss Mignon Schillingford. She joined us from Dominica. Uh, she's a nurse working directly with COVID patients, and she's also the president of the Dominican Nurses Association. Uh, I say thank you as well to Mr. Ryan Lewis. He joined us from Barbados. He too is a nurse who works with COVID patients, and he's the PRO, the Public Relations Officer of the Barbados Nurses Association. And finally, we were joined by Mr. Arville Grant here in Antigua and Barbuda, who is a public health and international development specialist. Thanks to all three of you. <laughs>